Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of the podcast and SoulfulLiving.com. This is the place people will connect you to their stories, their journeys, and how they've found meaning in their lives. Join us. Let's connect. Connection. Today, I have with me the possibility coaches, and I did have a vague idea that the possibility coaches existed in the universe because I would see um, books, you know, and I would I would just see things or hear things. So I kind of had this vague idea that you both existed, and you um, and when I finally got to meet. John Satin and Chris Pate, the actual duo who are the possibility coaches, I fell in love. And I'm sure I'm not the first and I'm sure I won't be the last. And I think it's because you both give off tremendous kindness vibes. When you are around the two of you, you just feel calmer and you just, you don't feel judged and you feel like, you know, maybe they know something <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to learn from them. So I won't spend my time talking about you because I want to talk to you, but welcome. And thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you, Amanda. Yes. Thank you for having us here today. We appreciate it. When you were growing up, did you say, okay, I am going to one day be a possibility coach. <laughs> well, was that no, your dream? No, about? actually, you... it evolved to that. Yeah. And so... I, I know that John had mentioned this, and I will too, that we had this uncanny ability in our childhood and our teens and our 20s to assist people. People just naturally gravitated towards us and were always asking us for you know, advice, share our wisdom, what do you think about that? So we always had that ability in our, our system, in our psyche to do that. And eventually gravitated towards coaching certification and experience being authors, life coaches, success coaches. And that's where we stand today. And our biggest draw is our one-on-one -on -one coaching. So how did the two of you meet? We met many years ago. We met about 30 years ago. 30. And you worked 35 together. years ago. Get, get it right. Right, 35, 35 years ago. So our <laughs> lives have always revolved around each other. And we've always been in business and doing things together. So 20 some odd years ago, we formed Possibility Coaches. And that came out of a need or out of a request. Right. Can you, well... What were you doing at the time? Like, weren't you working for a firm that you were serving as kind of coaches or kind of trainers? Or we were we were both in director positions in sales. Yeah, so we were training sales staff exactly. Got and, it. And 
we, we shared this with you in previous conversation and, and there are no coincidences and the universe had our back obviously at that point in time we're going back over two decades that one of uh my sales team members approached me and she was struggling and i'm here in pennsylvania and she was actually her sales team was based in honolulu in hawaii and she called me and she was a, a lovely person I, I liked her very much and she said john i'm struggling and you are so successful and i just i want to be like you in terms of being able to produce and connect with people can you help me i said you know helen i'll, I'll help you any way i can she said i no i mean really help me can you coach me i said coach you i said okay well, you wow. know, tell me more and she said i want to pay you for being a private coach for me. And I that's said, how Possibility Coaches <laughs> got launched. And that's how it started. And actually one of our sales team members gave us the name because a few of them said, you know, when we think of you, we think of possibilities. And why don't you become the Possibility Coaches? So they named yeah, us really. and then it's all in the books now, it's all history. That's incredible because, you know, now, back when you guys started, this wasn't as pervasive. You know, now kind of you look around every corner and there is a coach, which isn't necessarily bad, but it's become a, like an explosion. And back, I think when you began, it was almost like you just, it it came upon you. You yeah. didn't, that's amazing. So do you mind? I love to take it back. So do you mind telling me about what you what your dreams were as a child, what you excelled in? What were your subjects? What were you thinking of becoming when you were younger? Okay, so I'll answer and give a little bit of my story, and then I'll okay. pass it to John. So for me, um, I always wanted to be a vet as a child, but then I was steered off of that direction by my parents, who said I wouldn't have good enough grades. So... I had dreams, aspirations to do and be different things in my life, but I felt society, parents, teachers steered, steered me in a different direction of my heart's passion. So later on in life, I was told by my parents, get a business degree. So I got my bachelor's degree in business management, which was the last thing I wanted to do because I then later became a payroll director and a director of human resources in the corporate world, which was the furthest thing from my calling, you know, working with numbers was not who I was. And then I steered away from that and started doing a lot of my own personal growth work over the years. And that's where I had that memory from my teens and childhood that people always came to me for advice. So when John and I connected, we decided to, as from John's story before, create possibility coaches. And that's how it came to be. So we're for me, it's just, this is the furthest thing I ever thought my life would come to be. You know, what's interesting about that, and I don't know if it came out of a conversation with you or with somebody else, but somebody was telling me that parents, we try so hard to protect our kids that sometimes, was it you guys? I don't remember. Yeah, I, it might have been John. Yeah, was it John? We kill their dreams. Like yeah. we're trying to protect them and... And instead of protecting them, we kind of are the first 
you know, enemies of the state. We were the first people who like. <laughs> but it's not actually. intentional. No. No, it's, it's not it's intentional. Well it's well-meaning. It's, it's well-meaning. Well but it is a good message to send to myself, you know, and to anybody listening. And it's not just parents. Like you said, it could be coaches or teachers or, you know, anyone who when somebody comes with their dream, maybe don't just dash it to the ground. But anyway, I mean, I'm kind of glad you're not a vet because here we are talking and, but still. <laughs> <laughs> and then John, can you tell me a bit about your childhood? And Sure. Well, I was, you know, the gifted child. You know, I was the A student, you know, the most, the most promising, you know, in the class kind of a guy. And, you know, from the get-go, I was indoctrinated to do something worthy of my intelligence. Mm -hmm. So first off, it was to be a doctor of some sort, you know, a physician of some kind. And when that didn't work out too well, after my two semesters in pre-med at, at a university, then it became the advice switched to, okay, well, what about law? So then we went into that field, you know, and I received a business degree. And then I decided that this is not what I wanted. And then from there, the final, you know, the third attempt was, okay, well, get your MBA and get a good job on Wall Street. So I got my MBA. I never got a job that I loved on Wall Street. <laughs> and I honestly had some good jobs, but I floundered through most of my 20s because I wasn't doing what I loved. Right. And I have to say something that struck me when we talked and it strikes me again is that you're both so dutiful <laughs> because there are a lot of people whose parents would have told them this and they just wouldn't have followed through. Like that's intense to be able to, John, like achieve all of that you know, even if you're gifted, it still requires hard work and perseverance and dedication. It doesn't matter. However, in retrospect, all of my so-called achievement had one function, to not disappoint my parents. Oh. And that's not a reason to succeed. That's true. And that's what I was doing. And, and I did that well into my 30s until... You know, I finally got therapeutic assistance and went through my own journey and opened myself up and became vulnerable and let go of the belief system and the way of thinking that didn't serve me or my highest good. And it wasn't until that time I realized my I thought my function was to make everyone around me happy. And I wasn't happy. I was I, I, in fact, I was miserable. Wow. That is really, really powerful. That's, you know, I was actually prepared to ask if there was a time when you, because I imagine you have a lot of people who come to you who feel hopeless or who feel stuck or who feel like it's impossible to get out from exactly where I am, whether that's a place emotionally or physically. And I was going to ask if, if, if that had happened to you guys and if you had what did you do to get to break it? So you're saying, yes, it happened to me, right? 
and therapy was your answer. Is that right? In the beginning, yes, it was. In the beginning. Yes. In the right. beginning. Yeah, and and I know for the two of us, <clears throat> it also gradually evolved to attending personal growth workshops, seminars. And I know for me, a defining moment was we had gone through uh, what's called a breakthrough to success weekend event. And that really made a huge difference in our lives. And, and it was about that time that we stepped into possibility coaches. It was all about, which it is currently for us to letting go of the past, letting go of our limiting beliefs, mm -hmm being kinder and more gentle towards ourselves, not yeah. living up to anyone's expectations, but being here now to fulfill our mission on the planet, which is assisting people. You know, and if you've been together, you said 35 years, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So your life partners and your business partners, right. I think that's a lot. I think that many, 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 many people in the world could not be both. <laughs> <laughs> right. Got to pick or one. even one or the other. <laughs> That's right. Um, what is the secret to that, would you say? Or is there a secret? Or is it who you are? There, the se the se secret to our success is being master listeners. Mm. And that for both of us, becoming master listeners. And that's why we're so successful in coaching people, because we listen. And not only do we listen to what people are saying, we listen beneath the surface of what they really mean or what they're trying to express and maybe having difficulty expressing. But Chris, that's why our relationship, our personal relationship is so strong. I like to add, too, because there's an enormous level of mutual respect there. And that, too. It's not non-existent and it's not one-sided, it's mutual. And that's really important in any relationship, whether it's partnership, friends, business, whatever it might be, mutual respect and listening is very important. And then to be a master listener, is that really to kind of focus in on what the person is saying? Because do you just have an innate gift of, you can kind of read between the lines? Okay, well, here, here's the thing about listening. Everyone has the gift to be a master listener. And all it takes is one thing and one thing only to allow yourself to be in the present moment. Mm. If you are present with another individual and even with yourself, you will be able to hear what the other person is saying or what the voice in your head is saying. And then you can really listen if you're present. Yeah. Now, when you say the voice in your head, you mean your intuition, right? That's saying not not the chatter, not yeah. the, the voice that's saying. like you stupid. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, that, that's a, that's another topic. Uh, that's but someone's topic. telling right. you something deeply important to them, and you're thinking about what you're going to make for dinner that night. It's you're not going to hear what they say, right? Or oftentimes, people are thinking about what their next sentence is going to be, or what exactly. they want, their agenda, basically. Um, so, you know, one thing I wanted to go back to, and I, you know, you tell me, um, how comfortable you are with this, but you are a couple and you have lived in a world where that was not always something that, um, 
society was like, yes, you can be with whomever you want. You can marry whomever you want. It was a tough road. I would have to imagine when you were younger, I think it's tough for our kids now, but I don't think it's as tough actually in any stretch of the imagination. So how did that growing up with either, either something that is a secret or growing up with something that's not a secret, but you still feel watched or judged. How does that inform who you are today? Do you mind sharing that? Yes, I'll, I'll speak from my experience. And it was tough as a childhood, as a child in my childhood, because when I was born and younger, we were just coming off of the generation that it was still considered a mental illness. And you could be locked up and institutionalized for being gay. And um, that's how I lived my childhood, feeling as if there was something wrong with me. And many of us feel that anyway, no matter what we're going through in our childhood, that we're just not good enough or whatever. But it was compounded for me. And I used to go to bed every night praying that I would wake up the next morning and be changed or think of ways out such as suicide and things like that. Um, but somehow I'm still here to talk about it. And I believe it's meant for me to be here to talk about it. Yeah, that's, so that's a my, lot of pain. Yes. And my childhood was very similar. You know, we're, Chris and I are the same age, so we grew up in the same generation. And yeah, there were, especially in the teen years, I mean, suicide was a thought for me. It really was mm. because like Chris, I also heard that being gay was a mental illness and I heard it within my own family so you know it was a it was a secret that I was going to hold on to as long as I could and I even thought of it as like a virus that was going to go away as if I even had a choice which I no one has a choice but I thought it was just going to disappear one day and I was going to wake up and be attracted to the opposite sex <laughs> it, it didn't happen that way it didn't happen that way but for me if you fast forward for me amanda one thing i will say is when you ask me who i am that's part of it but that's not who i am right you know? and no, I, I don't, right i see everyone as a, a spiritual being and Chris is the same way or a human being a, a spiritual being having a human experience right. that and we're all in the same the same world right I almost think interestingly enough that you know your sexuality is just a part of you like so many I mean we talked before like I think it in the Native Americans society they had 27 different variations of sexual orientation and ways to identify so um you know this is new even though it's oh but it's newish this whole kind of judgment about it weirdly but where i think it gets into your um psyche in a way and in you've chosen to channel that in in a beautiful way is that you know pain and you know what it is to feel bad about something that you don't you, there's nothing in the world that you should feel bad about it mm -hmm. so i think somehow that has germinated in a powerful way not that it was 
Right. And I hope it never happens to anybody. I hope we just create a world where people just are born. They are who they are. We talk about loving everybody, but there's something about you as coaches that you have this extra dose of compassion. And I don't think anybody could come to you and feel embarrassed because I think we get so embarrassed about anything that isn't perfect. So if we are stuck professionally or personally, or, you know, if we want something we can't achieve, or if we're in a a bad situation, it gets worse because we never, ever say it out loud because we don't know how to do that or where to go, you know? So I just love that you're in the world and that there is a place that people can can go. A safe space. It, it is a safe space. And interestingly enough, Chris and I always say we, we bless every blade of grass that we ever walked on because all of our experiences we can share with our clients. Because people come to us that we all feel at times we feel alone, like we're the only ones going through what we're going through. And when they sit down with us in conversation, one-on-one, they realize that, wow, he experienced it also many years ago, but he experienced the same thing. So when I sat down with a client years ago who was an 18-year-old gay young man, he thought he was all alone in the world and he was suicidal. But I was that same young man 40-some-odd years ago. So we had an instant bond for that reason, that he he wasn't alone in the world anymore. And one thing that you can do that you pointed out, and I think this is really actually something I never thought about, but you said, you know, with a therapist, they can't kind of share their experiences. They can't bond in that specific way. And I think it's kind of a nice thing that you actually can engage and interact you both have kind of a, a kindness and maybe you're rooted somehow in service. Where does that come from? Well, it's interesting because John and I have been talking about this lately, that there is something in our psyche about injustices that are going on in the world now, whether it's towards whatever group, there seems to be so much injustice in the world. And that, echoes back to our childhood and our, you know, growing up and so on. So there is something within us that does have that extra bit of compassion and we create that safe space for our clients, but it is rooted into wanting to create justice in the world. Yeah. And embrace people. Yeah. Do you think that that's because of what you went through, because of who you are or was, you know, somebody's mother, like, doing meals on wheels or or all of the above or none of the above? Well, it definitely wasn't meals on wheels <laughs> in my household. Um, I just think it was from what we went through personally, what we've witnessed going on around us, and then more so over the past 20 years being coaches and hearing the stories because people tell us what's going on in their life. Of course so, because we're coaches. We're their coaches. So whether it's financial or whether it's career, whether it's in their relationships or in their personal lives, people dig deep. And that's part of our coaching. 
is not to address the surface and give, you know, fluff coaching. We go down to dig deeper on why you do what you do. Why do you act this way? Why do you respond that way? As one of our clients said, I mean, she put it this way, she was contemplating going through a divorce and she was looking at her relationship. And she said what she loved about us is that she was so stuck in looking at her relationship one way. And we metaphysically walked around the block with her, held her hand and helped to look at the relationship, her relationship from a whole different angle. So that's part of our wow. gift and our gift of coaching. That's amazing. So you inspire other people. What inspires you? Are you in, is there a specific book or do you watch movies or do you, is it your conversation with one another? What, what is your, world. okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We have, yeah. we've been to many workshops and lectures ourselves as attendees. We've done and attended many online classes for our, our own growth. Uh, it's our conversations that we have several times during the day about our own life and, and what's going on. We currently host a book club and we read a lot of empowering books. So there's a lot of, and we go all the way back um, with our own books to The Power of Now with Eckhart Tolle and uh, a lot of Wayne Dyer's books from way back when. So it started many years ago with us. That's great. I mean, yeah, Wayne Dyer, you know, it all still is true. <laughs> yes, yes. If you could um, kind of tell yourself, if you could look back through your own journey and give yourself some advice, whether it was you as a kid or you as a young adult, what would your piece of advice be? Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring this up because we're just finished reading a book. And in the book, the author says um, a good tool is, if say if you're 65, ask the, the 95, ask the 95 you from 30 years from now, what was important if the 95 oh. age you was reflecting back. And so I've been looking at it from that framework, what would the 90-year-old, the 95-year-old me say to the 65-year-old me? And the advice would be, just don't take things so serious and be kinder and more gentle towards yourself. Love it. You, are you the same, I, John? I would, I, would, I would agree with that. <laughs> that would be the first component. The second component would be listen to your gut and don't waste a lot of time and effort trying to please everyone else. Oh. If you had to share one or two life lessons, not just with your younger self, but with other people, what would a lesson be? Well, I'll go. for me, it's understanding for myself and everyone we talk to, understanding that you are good enough. And you are lovable just the way you are. I love that. What about you, John? Well, I'll agree with that also. We're on the same page with that, as we usually are, the two of us. I will add, you can't, I learned that you can't give what you don't have, which means in order to give love, I have to love myself. That's so good. I think we forget that. I, I love that. Yeah. Um. And, you know, when you 
when you guys and I were talking about this, you said, you know, I, the theme of this podcast we think can be, you can't plan your life. You can only live it. Can you expound upon that thought? Well, it's, it comes down to this, you know, we're, we live in a world where planning is based on strategy and coordinating and it's important. And we do this with clients, whether it's in a business client or, or in a personal relationship, having a challenge that what you want to do is you want to look at what are, what's the energy, what are the intentions behind the planning? You know, is it, you know, to be successful, to make money, what's the motivation behind it? You know, right. If you start to listen to your instincts and your guts and your intuition, you know, planning takes a back seat because what, what's required in instinct and intuition is trusting, trusting that the universe has your back and that, and that if your intention is honorable and decent, and you want to be of service and you want to be happy, you want a result that's going to be for the highest good of everyone, then you don't need plans. Yeah. You don't need plans. You could use a framework. Right. You could have a framework, but you're not tied to a plan. Right. Right. Sometimes when we surrender our plan, it can feel relieving. <laughs> giving up control, which giving is another control. Big issue. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Giving up this perception of control because I guess we really don't have it, do we? No. Yeah. We we try very hard to control. You know, I uh, once heard an interview from um, a lady who was very seriously in control of her day, and she lived her life by a to-do list. And she had this massive to-do list on her kitchen counter that no human could fulfill in a day. Right. She went out of the house, left her list on the kitchen counter, went about in chaos as she always did throughout the day, got into a horrible car accident, wow. was in the hospital for many, many months. And she said she lived through this car accident. She finally came home and she said on that kitchen counter was that to-do list, which nothing got done on it. And life went on and she ripped up that list and never went forth with another major to-do list. It helped her backtrack and downscale all her chaos in her life. And we live in a society now where there is just so much chaos and overwhelm that we want to have tools to dial that down. Yeah, that's interesting. What about, you know, thinking of the to-do list, do you have any like rituals, is there anything that you just make sure that you do every day? Mm -hmm. Especially starting our day. Yeah, What do you mind sharing them? Sure, every every day, like clockwork, in the morning, first thing, before we even brush our teeth, <laughs> um, we sit and discuss what we're grateful for and what we appreciate in our lives. In our lives. Mm -hmm. Without fail, and that's been going on for over 20 years. Even if, even for away on vacation, no matter where we are, the day starts like that. I we also that. read an excerpt from a book called The Course of Miracles. And there's a daily lesson in that book that we try or attempt to fulfill every day. We also sit and have, before we start our day, peace and quiet and um, a short 
like meditation, just some silence. I love it. it. Where do you like to go when you go away? Mainly out in nature. I mean, we love travel of all kinds, whether it's big cities. We've just, uh, we were to Seattle, uh, Washington, Santa Fe, New Mexico. We just came back from, uh, where was it? Bangor, Acadia National Park. Oh, I love it there. So we go to places, mainly we like to go where there's nature. When we were in Seattle, we took the ferry to some of the outer islands and we're at a camping lodge out there. And in, in Acadia, it was all about the forest and the trees. So we get our peace and relaxation from being out in nature. So our vacations re- revolve around nature. And that of course, really... eating. Yes. Eating. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're foodies also. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I can relate to that. I think that that's restorative. I think that there's something really powerful about that. I think it can't be overestimated how much we need that that connection with whatever it is that you find beautiful whether it's nature or walking in a big city and you know the evening whatever it is i think that that's so important and then what's a perfect day describe a perfect day well for me it's all about the senses i love a day like it is here in doylestown pennsylvania today it's not oppressively hot and humid. It's warm. It's breezy. There's no humidity. The birds are singing. Everything is, is blowing around with the flowers. Uh, it's having the peace and quiet to start our day in the morning. It's going into our coaching clients, uh, you know, uh, set up there for the day or hosting any Zoom meetings, any workshop seminars, uh, conversations with neighbors and friends going out to eat or for a glass of wine or a coffee. Uh, to us, it's that's it. That's what life is for us. And um, we just don't need all the fan. We've come to a place in our lives where we don't need all the fanfare. Yeah. yeah. It's just the simple things we've learned that's very important to us. Being alive, breathing. I always am thinking right now about that feeling of stuff. I've discussed, I've been in that conversation with friends and, you know, the challenge with being stuck is that you are the same person who got you into this, where you are. So it really is a trick to get yourself beyond it, whatever that means. Do you have one recommendation that you could say, listen, if you're out of place, you don't want to be, or if there's something that's making you feel stuck here's something that you can do. For me, when I get stuck, I turn to spirituality, whatever that means for you and, yes. and listeners, anyone listening. And I turn to the universe and say, you know, I'm not happy about this. I feel I'm feeling stuck. I need guidance. Show me a sign. Show me the way. Bring me the person show me the situation and I will, so I can be unstuck and I will, I will follow. That's what I do. And inevitably, if I hold that thought, that feeling and that conviction to wanting to get unstuck, it inevitably happens. Now it doesn't happen on my time frame. It happens sometimes. I might want it to happen now. It may take a week. It may take a month. It may take a year. It may take longer, 
but if you if you're steadfast and you hold that conviction that you want to make changes in your life it will happen and for me the motto the mantra that has got me through many many years is this too shall pass <laughs> so when i feel stuck i know the pattern with me it's just a phase it's like a wave and things will get better but for me what has helped me is having the awareness that I am stuck and that mm -hmm. to change my perspective on things, don't live in the stuckness. I try myself to step out of it and look at it as if I'm a stranger looking in and how could I do things differently or look at it differently. That helps me. Yeah. Great answers. I mean, I kind of do both of them. And sometimes I do a version of that, which I say, what would I tell myself <laughs> if I were coming <laughs> to me? And one thing I'll just add, Amanda, what Chris, piggybacking on what Chris said, is we're always telling clients and sharing with clients that self-awareness is 95% of the journey if you want to create change. Once you have self-awareness, there's no going back. You know, I'm going to just ask a question because I always think that I have self-awareness, but then I think, what if I'm not self-aware? And I, I'm, you know what I mean? Like, how do you know if you have self-awareness? For me, yeah. Yeah, for me, for me, it's the willingness to look at it differently, a different mm -hmm. perspective. If I'm open to a different perspective, then I know I have self-awareness. If I'm stubborn and saying, no, this is the way it is, I'm just this way, that's not self-awareness. That makes that's, total that's, sense. That's, that's being close to change. And, and for me, the self-awareness is always asking myself the question of why do I do what I do? You know, am I repeating things from the past because it's just a habit or understanding that I can do things differently? My past, my past does not have to equal my future. That has always helped me. I want to meet with you guys every five minutes <laughs> <laughs> we're on <laughs> i just feel so grateful when i left our meeting when we met up originally i said oh my gosh you're just such wonderful people it just is it's it's like something that you know it's if i i like perfume so I feel just want to spray it all over. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope through today's podcast, you've connected with an idea or a thought that you're able to take into your own life in a meaningful way. Um, if you like the podcast, of course, I would so appreciate it if you would give it a great rating. And I can't go without acknowledging the amazing and talented William Aronson, who gifted me with an incredible Soulful Connections theme song. He wrote it, he produced it, he recorded it, and I appreciate it. Until next time, let's keep connecting.